Hi there! You are listening to the first episode of Environment and Race. First of all, thank you for listening. My name is Sarah, and I will be your host through this podcast series. We are going to explore the history and the dimensions of environmental racism. Since this issue is so broad and widely occurring, we will limit the discussions in this podcast just to the United States. However, this is an issue that takes place all around the world, so if you're interested in the topic, I encourage you to learn more about it on a global scale. I would also like to start by disclosing that I am white, so I will be using a lot of quotes and other people's firsthand stories, as well as documented facts, statistics, to go over this topic since I cannot speak to the experience myself. I chose to create a podcast about environmental racism because I wanted to use my voice to amplify an issue that has long been ignored. If you want to learn more about this topic, I also encourage you to listen to the podcast Living Downstream. They also talk about environmental racism, but on a global level. They have amazing guest speakers, including several notable environmental reporters and activists. I'm also a fan of the For the Movement podcast, which covers several aspects of the anti-racism movement, but also has several episodes educating people about environmental racism. Okay, now onto the podcast you're currently listening to. This podcast series is meant to be an introduction to the topic of environmental racism. So if you're new to the issue, environmental racism is defined as, quote, any policy, practice, or directive that differentially affects or disadvantages individuals, groups, or communities based on color or race. End quote. This is a phenomenon that has been happening since the beginning of this country and before. Dr. Robert Bullard is widely considered to be the father of environmental justice. He has written nine books and countless articles and reports about environmental racism since the 1990s. He was also named one of the 100 most influential people in climate policy in 2019. He is currently 73 years old and still teaching as a professor at Texas Southern University. Before 1990, he had published books and articles relating to other forms of racism in the United States. However, his wife, who was a lawyer, asked him to help her with a legal case she was handling. The case was Bean versus Southwestern Waste Management Incorporated which was the first legal case that challenged the location of a waste facility under civil rights law. She asked him for help building a case against the company. When he was researching the specifics of the case, he had an epiphany. He realized that racism was inherent in every aspect of life, including environmentally. Environmental protection regulations exist to help manage, regulate, and distribute risks. However, they also reinforce existing unjust stratifications of people. Dr. Bullard had dedicated his life and work to this environmental justice cause ever since. In 1990, he published Dumping in Dixie, Race, Class, and Environmental Quality. It was the first book published on environmental justice that documented the causal relationship between environmental pollution and race. Dr. Bullard says, quote, Many of the nation's environmental disparities have their roots in institutional racism and discriminatory zoning and land use practices, end quote. In a 2019 article by Dr. Bullard titled, Time for Whites to Stop Dumping Their Pollution on People of Color, he notes, quote, Pollution is taking a heavy toll on the health of African Americans and other people of color. 
For example, a 2017 Harvard University study found African Americans are nearly three times more likely to die from exposure to airborne pollutants than other Americans. End quote. Other quotes from the same article include, quote, the NAACP report found 2 million people live within three miles of the top 12 dirtiest coal-fired power plants. 76% of these residents are people of color, end quote. This contradicts with the fact that people of color only make up 37% of the nation's population. So for 76 of the residents that live within these three miles of the dirtiest coal fire, fire power plants is a huge disparity. All right, another quote from the same article includes, quote, even income does not insulate African-Americans from elevated pollution assaults. Afri African-American households with incomes between $50,000 and $60,000 live in neighborhoods that are more polluted than the average neighborhood in which white household incomes are below $10,000. End quote. After several other reports and books about this topic, he published Toxic Waste and Race at 20. 1987 to 2007. This, re this report was published in conjunction with the United Church of Christ's Commission for Racial Justice, which published the original report, Toxic Waste and Race, in 1987, documenting widespread environmental racism. We will talk much more about this report in um, episode three. Dr. Bullard's report in 2007 um, he found that the conditions were much worse and much more widespread than previously thought and that was reported in the UCC's original report in 1987. On his website, Dr. Bullard describes his report as, quote, the follow-up study 20 years after the original report showed race is still the best predictor where commercial hazardous waste facilities are located. African Americans and other people of color make up most 56% of those living in neighborhoods within two miles of commercial hazardous waste facilities. People of color make up over two-thirds, 69%, of those living near clustered facilities, and people of color are more concentrated in areas with commercial hazardous sites in 2007 than in 1987. So this phenomenon has actually gotten worse in the last 20 years since um, the original publication. One of, the most, one of the most prominent challenges in the environmental justice movement is how to spread information and educate people. Many people do not even realize that environmental racism is a problem. And of course, it often gets overshadowed by other issues, like in 2020 with police brutality and the pandemic and the presidential election. Of course, these issues are incredibly important, but we need to realize how much these issues are interconnected with each other. We cannot try to solve one social justice issue without trying to solve another. Unfortunately, environmental racism usually only gets attention when a community is severely affected by an environmental issue and then the members of that community protest. An early example of this was in 1982 in Warren County, North Carolina. This is what we will talk about next time. I hope to see you guys then. In the meantime, I hope everyone has a great day and stays educated. The information in today's podcast was found from Dr. Bullard's website, which is drrobertbullard.com, and from a book titled Environmental Issues, Key Issues, 
edited by Brendan Coulsad. Specifically, it is from Chapter 2, titled A History of Environmental Justice, written by Esme Murdoch. Citations can be found in the descri description box for this episode.